0: In order to set the foundation for this morning's sermon, I would like you to consider a question. What is God's least favorite thing to do? I think that our answer is found in 2 Peter 3, 9, where it says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Rachel, maybe bring me down a little bit. I think I'm a little hot. Oh, there you go. And so in regards to our story about Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, this desire of the Lord's to see all come to repentance is clearly seen beforehand as the angels come to Abraham. And the angel of the Lord is there with them. And uh, many believe this is uh, a Christophany where Christ appears in the Old Testament Uh, two people and there there's a conversation that Abraham has as he's struggling with this reality that God is going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah says then the Lord said because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me and if not I will know Notice immediately here, initially, God is concerned with Sodom and Gomorrah because people are crying out in anguish because they have been victims of a great sin that's being perpetrated there. God loves these people, the victims, so much that he's bound and determined to give them justice. But I find it interesting that God agrees uh, with a plea that Abraham has here that if just 10 righteous people are found in that city, he wouldn't destroy it. Now historians estimate that the population of Sodom and Gomorrah at that time was between 1,200 and 5,000 people, so not very many people. But God could not even find one-tenth of 1% of the population that was righteous. And to me, this shows the patience of God The people had become completely depraved. And this morning, we're going to look at two different things. First of all, we're going to be looking at the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. What was it that God saw that caused him to bring judgment down upon them? And by the way, surprisingly, it's not homosexuality itself. This was just a symptom of the deeper issues that were going on within the hearts of the people. Second, because this passage does highlight homosexual deviancy, we will look at some common questions regarding the sin of homosexuality. And so as we go through this first section, I want you to consider whether Sodom and Gomorrah perhaps remind you of another country today. First we see here the sin of shamelessness and pride. In Isaiah chapter three, verse nine, it describes those who are likened unto Sodom. It says, for the look on their faces bears witness against them. They proclaim their sin like Sodom, they do not hide it. It's a known fact that sin is progressive. It's similar to drugs. The first time somebody tries cocaine, To get this amazing high, they only have to use a small amount of the product. But then they begin to get hooked on it, and they have this euphoric feeling, and it takes more and more of that same drug in order for them to have the same high. And then they get to the point where they don't even feel the high, they just feel sick, and they need to take the drug to feel normal. And so, when someone is young, they may feel great guilt for having stolen something, maybe a candy bar, maybe they cheated on a test. Their hearts are still soft, and their conscience is easily convinced that they're not supposed to do this. But if they don't repent of this sin, they will eventually get to the point where their heart becomes so hard that they don't think much of it. And their sin gets more and more severe. Some gang members have become so hardened that they don't even feel anything when they're murdering somebody. In fact, they may even flaunt their murders, getting tattoos to display the fact that they killed this many people, kind of like notches on a gun. And it's hard for me to think of anything more shameless and flaunting of sin than the gay pride parade. In the San Francisco Pride Parade alone, there are 200 contingencies, with hundreds of thousands of people lining the streets to cheer them on. Some of the contingencies include dikes on bikes, leather groups that consist of people who prefer bondage and sadomasochism, and probably the most disturbing are the gay-affirming Christian denominations, of which there are over 30 present. In fact, just at this last uh, gay pride parade in San Francisco, uh, one of the new bishops of the ELCA, um, a lesbian, uh, walked the parade topless, and so representing the ELCA there at the gay pride parade. The Isaiah passage is very relevant when it says, the look on their faces bears witness against them. Next, we see the sin of excess and prosperous ease. Another verse that highlights Sodom and Gomorrah's sin is Ezekiel 16, 49. It says, Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride, excess of food, prosperous ease, and did not aid the poor and the needy. In 1929, the average-sized American home was 1,366 square feet with an average of two bedrooms and one bath. Today the average home size is around 2,100 square feet with three bedrooms and two and a half baths. And actually the size of families has decreased in that time as well. America is also the top caloric consumer in the world. We take in almost 3,800 calories on average per day compared with some in African countries like Burundi, which consumes only 1,630 calories per day per person on average. One Taco Bell ad that caters to the college age group encourages them to take advantage of the late hours so they can have their fourth meal. I guess this is after the bar lets out, right? And they're hungry. We also rank in the top of the nations as far as numbers of cars per person. We have 424 uh, cars for every thousand people in the United States, including children. Compare that to India, where there are only 10 cars per thousand people. Sodom and Gomorrah here were in a similar state. They had more than they needed, and they lavished the excess upon themselves. Cultures that are on the decline show this particular bent toward the sin of excess. I think of the Roman era, and right before its decline, it was steeped in excess. They would have parties where they would gorge themselves on food, and as they filled up with food, they would go and vomit it out so they could come back to the party and eat more food. Just a sign of the excess that they had. But notice here that the biggest problem with this excess and prosperous ease is the next sin that was highlighted by God in Sodom and Gomorrah. It's the sin of ignoring the needy. Making a lot of money is not necessarily the problem that people face, although Jesus warned about how hard it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The problem with Sodom and Gomorrah is that they have no pity on the poor and the needy as they live in the lap of luxury. But some might say of our country, isn't that why I pay taxes? So that the poor can get on welfare? But I think there's a grave danger in this kind of mentality because when we completely disconnect from those who need help by hiring others to do the dirty work, we begin to dehumanize the poor. I went on a trip to San Francisco with uh, the youth group of our last church and we went to the Tenderloin. The Tenderloin is the area where uh, there's a lot of missions and a lot of homeless people and we saw the homeless people there. We saw the mental illness. You could smell the urine and the drugs. I was in the basement and we were sleeping that night and I couldn't sleep. I got up about two in the morning and I decided to do something stupid, which was to step outside. during that time. You'd have thought it was the middle of the day. (laughs) Everybody was up on drugs, partying, music. I ended up talking to this guy who uh, was homeless for a number of years, uh, a big tall black guy, and he said he was a basketball player in the NBA. And he injured himself and got on drugs, and he ended up on the street and has been estranged from his family for years, trying to make his way back. And we saw this need, Suddenly, it wasn't just some homeless guy in my way on the street there. It was a man who had a family and a story. And so, as a church, we need to stay connected to the poor, not just pay somebody else to take care of it. And that's why missions are so important. That's why I think short term missions, like places like Bali, Mexico, into some of the um, areas maybe in Seattle that are struggling. These kinds of things are very important for churches to stay connected to. And so we're going to move into some of these questions about homosexuality. And up front, I want to just say, I know this is a very sensitive topic. I know that probably everybody sitting here today at least knows one or two people that are homosexuals in their life. Perhaps even a family member that's very close to them. I have very close family members and friends struggle with this issue or have given into it. And so as we go through this, I want you to recognize this isn't me just beating on homosexuality, okay? We have this in the Bible and we need to address this and we need to uh, approach it today from the Bible because if we don't, we're just going to fall into the other ways that everybody is dealing with it. If we don't look at scripture and what it says. And so it's very important for us to understand this issue, because I believe that this issue has become the issue of our generation. It's the one that I think causes the most division in churches, the most division in families today. So the first question is, are people born homosexual? One of the biggest arguments used in support of people choosing to become homosexual is that they were born that way. They say that in their DNA there is a gene that's caused them to be attracted to those of their own same sex rather than people of the opposite gender. And in claiming this, they say they cannot be held responsible by God for their actions because God created them like that. That is, if they believe that there is a God. In other words, it can't be a sin. But the main problem with that is that we are all Born into sin each one of us in our spiritual genetic makeup is corrupted by the stain of original sin that started with Adam and Eve now how that works itself out in each individual is depending upon their family line and many different factors about who they are as an individual but we all have a particular bent toward a particular sin Some, like myself, may be bent toward addictive behaviors, like alcohol or overeating. Others may be bent toward outbursts of uncontrolled anger or cruelty. And still others might be bent toward living in fear. But those who choose to act on the homosexual desire that they find within themselves are just as culpable as those who choose to act upon the desires of addiction within them by taking heroin. Because the addict could use the same argument, couldn't they? I was born this way. I was born to take drugs. That's my thing, and so you can't hold me responsible, God, for something that I do by nature. But all of us by nature do certain things. And yet we still don't call them okay with God just because we feel like we were made that way. We struggle against those things. We fight against them. And so when we find these evil desires within us, we must flee to Christ in order to have the power to overcome them. And sadly, many churches are taking away the very weapons that can be used to gain victory in this area by saying this is not a sin. This is outside the realm of sin that you need to resist and overcome. It's somehow special. And I think one of the things that makes it so difficult in dealing with is that it's very connected to love, right? One of the things that I hear in the um, homosexual agenda is, love is love, right? Have you heard that? Love is love. Or, you know, I love who I love. Okay. I have no you know no problem with the fact that these people love each other. They do. They do love each other, right? But just because I love something doesn't make it right for me, right? Maybe I'd love to have sex with every woman I meet. Doesn't make it right just because I love them. And so that's what makes it a little tricky when we deal with this because From the outside, it looks good. Well, they're loving each other. You want them to be happy, don't you? It's only when we recognize our sin and desire to turn from them that God grants us the grace to do so. If we don't recognize it as a sin, how can we turn away from it? And that's why it's difficult in churches that open themselves up and they have theology based around this issue, that it's okay. Welcome, come on in. You know, we could have a sign up here, right? Um, Everyone welcome. And everybody is welcome. We never turn anybody away. But the point is, when they get inside here, it's wrong for me to say, what you're doing is right. (laughs) It's okay. And that's what those signs are saying. Everyone is welcome as they are. God takes you as you are. That's not the way it works. God does... He takes you as you are initially, right? Just as I am. But then he changes you into the image of his son over the course of sanctification. But when we put this as off limits, no, I don't need to be sanctified in this area because this is the way God made me. It creates major problems. The second question is, is homosexuality worse than other sins? The short answer to this question is that every sin leads to the same result, unless it's covered by Christ. The woman who tells tiny lies to her boss is going to hell just as surely as those guys who tried to knock down the door of Lot's house in Sodom and Gomorrah. But we must recognize that there are degrees of sin that have different consequences in this life. The prison sentence for someone who accidentally kills a pedestrian while texting and driving is going to be much different than somebody who's a serial killer. The Bible highlights the difference of homosexual sin in two different verses, two different passages that I'd like to highlight. Well, actually, first of all, it talks about sexual sin in general in 1 Corinthians 6.18. It says, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Notice there's two categories there, right? Those who sin sexually sin against their own body. Those who sin in other ways sin outside their body. So there's something special about sexual sin that affects the body that's not like other sins. And that's all sexual sin, right? And notice the Bible does call it a sin. The reason that sexual sin affects the body is because you cannot sleep with somebody without connecting your soul to that individual. And so you carry that connection forever in your life, not in heaven. But even those of us who are Christians, we have still had those connections in the past if we have sinned sexually. And that's why it's so dangerous. Solomon warns his sons, do not unite yourself with a prostitute. (laughs) Because he's talking about that unity there that takes place. Why would you share that with somebody else? And there are results that happen because of these kinds of unions too. Venereal diseases, unwanted pregnancies, depression, and emotional instability. Romans 1, 28 through 25 calls attention to the specific sin of homosexuality. It says, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, for this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchange natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. I want to call your attention to the word natural there, okay? This is claiming that there's a natural order for sexual relationships that God designed that's in nature, all right? I'm going to use an example here um, about natural relations that you will be able to grab onto, all right? Let's say somebody in a family, a brother, falls in love with his sister and desires to have sexual relationships with her, and eventually get married and have children. In our society, and in every culture on earth, something says that's not natural, that's not right, and have laws even about not doing that, okay? And so too, we see that homosexuality is not natural because God didn't design sex to be this way. He designed it originally to be between a man and a woman for a specific purpose, procreation, and as a representative of the image of Christ with the church. And so when we see this unnatural thing that's happening, we need to call it what it is. It's not natural. It's not right. And so what happens here is that people who are uh, resisting God, they're suppressing the things about God, and they are worshiping the created being instead of the creator, it says that God gives them over to a debased mind in order to do what not ought not to be done. He's basically said, you want to go crazy? He's lifting the restraints and saying, fine, go crazy. In our country here, even within the last 60 years, there was a big change in the amount of restraint that was around this issue. It's thankfully still there in regard to incest and pedophilia. Although there are, believe, believe me when I say this, there are communities that are working to even lift those restraints. Okay, There's one particular group. Their motto, sex before eight or it's too late. And so, this is happening in our culture today. They're trying to lift any kind of restraints from any kind of sexual relationship. The difference between humans and animals is the connection of the soul and the spirit with God. And when that connection is denied by humans, they become like brutish beasts. And although it's not the only sign, according to Romans 1 uh, 1 here, homosexuality is a sure outward sign that the heart of the individual has turned away from God. Question three What is the result of homosexuality? 1 Corinthians 6 9 states, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality. There is always hope for those who have thoughts of homosexuality or battle against homosexuality. There is hope for those who stumble and fall in that area, get caught up in it, and then turn to God in repentance and a desire to be healed. There's always hope for those kind of people. But there is no hope for someone who continues to practice homosexuality and does not turn from it before they die. It says they will not inherit the kingdom of God. I'm not saying that, that's the Bible. And you either believe the Bible or you don't. You can't pick and choose and take parts you like and then throw out the others. You have to take it as a whole. Consider the man in Psalm chapter 1. It says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. And there are many scoffers and wicked people trying to counsel us that homosexuality is in the same category as race. Many believe that they are champions of a cause, similar to that in the 1960s, the civil rights movement. But the later half of Psalm 1 tells us the result of those who buy into this lie. It says, The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. And so are we going to meditate and take our stand on the word? Or are we going to meditate and take our stand on human reason based on feelings? People are in bondage to sin. And they can be saved. That's the business that God is in. Freeing people from bondage. We see it throughout the Old Testament, from Exodus all the way through into the New Testament. It's a bondage. (laughs) You're chained to this thing. In conclusion here, as soon as Lot, uh, Lot and his family left Sodom and Gomorrah, God rained down fire and brimstone and destroyed it. And in the future, God is going to rain down fire and brimstone on the entire earth. In fact, his fierce wrath is going to destroy the entire world and everyone on it. America is going to be part of that destruction. Lake Stevens is going to be part of that destruction. Your unsaved friends and neighbors are going to be part of that destruction. When I had my barber shop, I had a lesbian gal that used to come in and get her hair cut once a month. And we would talk about religion because she grew up kind of in the church and she was interested in all these different religions. And finally, one day after we were talking, she point blank asked me, Scott, as a lesbian, am I going to hell? And I was like, well, now that you asked. And I gave her the biblical response. And she walked out and I never saw her again, right? But you know what? Her blood is on her own head. It's not on mine. If we don't speak out and tell people and warn them about this, the blood is on our head. We could have warned them. We could have told them. We could have helped them get out of this bondage. And it's a bondage. I pray that the fear of God would descend upon us once again because we are spiraling to the point of Sodom and Gomorrah where we'll be hard-pressed to find any righteous people in the decades ahead. Let's pray. Father God, I lift up friends and family members of my that are in this sin, in bondage to the devil. I pray that you would break their chains, Lord, send people to um, warn them. Lord, if there are people that I need to warn and speak out to, Lord, help me be bold. And Lord, as we see churches around us, I pray that you would shut their doors as they're lying and leading people astray. Lord, may we never here at Elam fall into that trap. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to this sermon series from Elam. If you are encouraged today, would you consider supporting our online ministry through a financial contribution? Personal checks can be made out to Elam Lutheran Church and sent to 11504 26th Street, Northeast, Lake Stevens, Washington, 98258. Or you can give online at elamlutheran.net. Thank you and may God bless you the rest of your day.